first on film and entertainment. We're getting towards the end of the year. No idea what the weather is doing because, hey, it depends on the time of the day. That's kind of what we're in for during the summer. Every summer. This is Melbourne. People in other states have no idea what they're missing out on. Do they, Greg King? Uh, I think Sydney know what they're in for. Well, let I, I'm saying if you come to Melbourne, you've oh. got no idea what sort of weather. Like in Melbourne, you know to prepare, right? You can prepare an umbrella. You can prepare a parka. You can prepare a T-shirt. Well, and on the same day. Correct. That That's the point. But, you know, any other state, that, that, that we're the la- laughing stock when it comes to weather. Is that not the case, Peter? Look, I don't think so. I think our weather's become more settled and more what? predictable. What are you talking about? It's totally unsettled all the time. Well, where's where's the predictability in that? <laughs> I don't know. We'll ask the Bureau of Meteorology. Oh, God, <laughs> you know, you get forecasts that are, what, 27 days in advance and they're wrong. No, I, no, it's not. Sorry. I love the Bureau. We, we shouldn't be like this at all. No, no. I, I, I just like the fact that now I look at my app and, I, for example, if we're looking ahead and we, we sort of, um, for those people who want to, you're looking at Christmas Day, you're looking at Boxing Day, I mean, obviously, cricket, etc. But, I mean, you're, you're preparing for it, right? There's the anticipation. You get closer to it and it's totally different. So I'd rather they not tell us if it's wrong. How do I, how do I get that across, Peter? <laughs> I don't know, but I suppose we'll weather the storm somehow. Thank you very much indeed. Now, uh, guys, one thing that I, I, I want to start with a show is simply because I had no idea what to expect. And I, I've said to you that I saw the MTC production, which is very, very, very funny. And I also saw the comedy theatre production, which is very funny related to Christmas. One, you know, it, it's the um, the Scrooge story, right? So you've got the Jewish version and you've got the Christian version. So they were they've been terrific. No no complaints whatsoever. And you know, I, I want them to keep coming back year after year. But what I hadn't seen is a show called A Very Naughty Christmas. And apparently it's been playing in Queensland for seven years. And this is the first time we've had it down here. Apparently it's playing in Queensland on both the Gold Coast and also in Brisbane. And there's also now a show in Melbourne. And some of the people from Queensland have come down, and others have stayed there. And they've got we've got uh, original cast members from from this state. So uh, now both of you have seen Magic Mike, yeah, the movie. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now uh, I've got to say I, I was sitting in the theatre at Alex Theatre in St Kilda, and sort of the opening, and you've got a nice Christmas carol behind curtains, and you're thinking, okay, well that's fair enough. Now, it's titled A Very Naughty Christmas. I've not read anything about it. And the next thing you know, I have no idea whether I'm watching Magic Mike or whether I'm watching Santa. That's the sort of show this is, Peter. So, I mean, you know, that's that's all right. And I've got to say, it's got an R rating, all right? So not too many shows I go to have an R rating. Not too many movies have an R rating. Now, um, I suppose that you could say that, honestly, there are times you can't tell the difference between Magic Mike or Santa in what is a sexually promiscuous, irreverent Christmas review with no shortage of fun. Now, have I titillated your your taste buds, Peter, or not? Um, Did Santa slide down the pole? Yes. Yes, there is a pole. Very well picked up. Now, there is a barber's pole. And so it's a two-tiered set. 
And on the top tier, you've got a three-piece orchestra. And then you've got sets of stairs at either side, and you've got a, a barber's pole. So, you know, that's that's the setup. Now, so it, it upends absolutely everything you thought you knew about the festive season and keeps the laughs coming. Now, that's what Christmas should be about, right? Family and fun. And, I, I mean, look, you've got to have a really strong sense of humour here because if not, you're going to be offended, right? So those people who are uh, listening to us who happen to be, uh, you know, very fervently uh, religious Christians are going to run a thousand kilometers in the opposite direction i dare say it depends on their sensitivities i i shouldn't be that judgmental but uh, you've got the um that christmas carol then that gives way to smut and innuendo and i gotta say that it was a full full um congregation i was about to say a a full set of patrons on opening night and boy did they lap it up the laughs were thick and fast so you got song and dance You've got striptease, you've got a retelling of the first Christmas with audience participation, and then you've got St. Nick's politically watered down address. And that was my fancy. That was really my favourite. You know, this political correctness that's going on and, and everything is sort of woke. Well, basically what they want to do, Santa sort of puts out a plea to all the boys and girls and whatever, and he, he runs through this with, if you like, a minder, and every time he opens his mouth... The minder says, no, you can't say that. And it is hilarious. So it starts with ho, ho, ho. But you can imagine you can't say that anymore, Greg, right? I know. You still can. No, you can't. What does ho mean, Peter? Um, Something a a, a bit uh, sexual. Well, yeah. I mean, women who are loose, shall we say. Right? So you can't (laughs) say that. You can't start an address anymore. Is right. That, that's the you get my sensitivity. And then Christmas, you can't say that because that isn't inclusive enough. You you can't say boys and girls anymore, though, Greg, can you? Because there are only two genders, and there's more than two genders. You get me? So it does go down a treat, and you know it, it's um, just to watch this unfold because there's there's a lot of truth in all of this. I, I hate to say, you've got to be so careful about giving an address not to offend anybody. And it, it means that, um, I mean, anything you write, you know, when when you're writing a review, Greg, I suppose you don't, a lot of this doesn't really apply to you, but a lot of the shows I go to with my written reviews, I've got to be so careful that I appropriate the correct pronoun to the, the person. And if they're in the program, that makes it a lot easier if it's not in the program, I've also, I've, I've also got into trouble when it's not been in the program. How am I supposed to know, Greg? I know. No, no that doesn't help me, Greg. You, come on, get, get with the program. Peter, what, what would you suggest? I suggest you go with your gut instinct and don't worry about what anyone else says or thinks. Ooh. No, no. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I've copped plaque for that in the past. And, yeah, no, you can't get, you can't get away with that anymore so anyway i'll continue to struggle with pronouns so look it's a i've got to say that the cast even manages to find room for a tap dance routine so look bloody marvelous all all of this i say really really good it's a polished it's a joyful show but of course as i said if you're easily offended don't go because they swear like troopers they're not backward in coming forward eight performers plus the three-piece band 
And you've got the musical director, Martin Wengro, on keyboard, Sam Ainsley on guitar and bass, and Faku Alvarez on drums. All the artists excel, but I, I, I want to highlight three of them. Having seen Tim Page fill the big man's shoes, I'll never look at Santa the same way again. Uh, apart from his potty mouth, let's just say he doesn't mind bearing more than a little skin. And I was left to ponder whether that was actually a fur coat covering his chest. Uh, that that uh, I'll leave that in the ether. Uh, he'd be a lock at any Christmas party worth its salt. That's all I can say. Shay Debney is his most endearing offsider, and he's an eager-to-please elf to whom the audience immediately warms, and his affectations are priceless. And then you've got Jordan Twig. She vocally is sensational. I've seen her before, and she's a commanding presence, has the most mellifluous voice. And others on the stage, Rebecca Roll, Joe Kalou, Kate Yaxley, Madeline Pratt, and Joshua Spinello. So that's the eight cast members. And overall, many of the tuneful songs with sexually forward lyrics are absolute rippers. And uh, the show is the brainchild of the creators, Alex Woodward and Dan Vence. And Vence also wrote, choreographed, and directs the offering alongside co-writer and director Alistair Smith. Skid writers, Emily Christopher, Stephen Hurst, and Matt Semple. Collectively, they really do know how to tap into crowd sensibilities. They, they turn the tables on woke and how. The pacing of A Very Naughty Christmas is spot on. Never a dull moment. One routine simply rolls into the next. And I must say that Santa's attempt at going PC is the thing that really hits the mark for me. So, you know, that's the jolly fat man. Bawdy costuming by Isaac Loomis, including lace underwear, shimmery suits, no shortage of flesh-revealing numbers in green, red, gold, and white. Sex toys, large playing cards to cover the privates prove to be quite useful props here, Peter. Are you getting in, in, in on the Christmas action here? Oh, sorry, I'm still imagining Santa sliding down the pole. Thank you very much. 80 <laughs> minutes of hilarity and vice. It's, uh, I'd describe this, Greg, as a box of licorice all sorts. Do you like licorice? No. You're not into licorice? No. Who's not into licorice? Well, it, it, everything's <laughs> left on the stage. The title of it, A Very Naughty Christmas Speaks Volumes, it is very naughty, but nice. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, and again, I make the point, suitable for adults only, playing at a theatre that bears my name. Do I get royalties? Do I? No. Anyway, uh, it's called the Alex Theatre. It's in St Kilda. It's playing till the 23rd of December, and it is heaps and heaps of fun. I... um. Look, I, I just, if you've got the right, it puts you in the right frame of mind. It's a great, if you're wanting to have a bit of a, a, a breakup at, at work, this would be an absolute ripper of a, a night out. It, it, it's that sort of, um, it is that sort of show. So anyway, there's lots of Christmas shows that have been doing the rounds. Christmas Under the Big Top has been, is still on for those people who want to go to Burnley Oval and uh, catch that one. And um You've got a Christmas carol and a very Jewish Christmas carol. So, you know, they, they mind you, they they are uh, going to be finishing very, very soon. I'm just, um, yeah, anyway, a Christmas carol, no. Christmas carol is going till the 7th of January. So that's um, that's well worth catching if you haven't caught it at the Comedy Theatre. And the other one is the Melbourne Theatre, a very Jewish Christmas carol. And I'm just looking up the date that that finishes because I think it is, yeah, it's in fact... Uh, it finished yesterday. So there we go. Hopefully next year that comes back. Let's turn to some movies. And 
the big one of the week, and you're on JAIR, by the way, 88 FM, intelligent, interesting, entertaining, engaging programming, good music, 24-7. And if you want to become a member, you just need to go to j-air.com.au and pay 54 bucks and you can become a member. That's uh, it's as easy as that. Let's talk about Wonka, boys. Um, now, okay, for those people who go back to Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka, I found it hard to believe that was 52 years ago. So you were but a lad at that stage, Greg. Yeah? Was I? I was probably, didn't even see you originally, I think, and, on, on, on Silicon on TV. What about Johnny Depp? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah, that was 18 years ago. So, yeah. okay, when you, when you think about this, the newest generation haven't been brought up on Gene Wilder or Johnny Depp. So, I mean, unless you're into movies, which... Peter, you were before you were in the birth canal still. That was what about two hundred and thirty-seven years ago. But yes, never, with never, Mozart. Yes. Sorry, with Mozart. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, what what I'm getting at though, you would see movies before you were born. I get that, uh, but a lot of people don't. So, uh, do you think it's fair game? And this is the conversation I want to have. Do you think it's fair game that they redo, no matter how good a movie is? a movie for for the next generation? Or do you think that it's incumbent upon people, even though they're reluctant to do that, to go and visit something predating their birth? What's your view? That's a hard one because the originals are usually always the best. However, remakes can be very good if they change things a little bit, if they update, if they have something that uh, gives that uh, extra energy mm. to an original story. But uh, Generally speaking, I mean, a great example is Psycho. When yeah. they did a, a remake of Psycho, that was abominable. Yes, it wasn't good. Oh, but, but the remake... But Alice, is not a strict remake. It's more of an origin story. It is more of an origin. No, a valid point, but it still, you know, it still deals with the same theme. I mean, it's, yeah. I just, the point that I was making, I reckon it's only fitting that, it, that this generation has its own Wonka, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, the singing, dancing, Timothy Chalamet... I reckon he makes a mighty good fist of it. He, to me, like Johnny Depp, great choice. Okay, Gene Wilder, terrific choice. I think it, all three of them have been outstanding choices. Do you not think that, Greg? Ah, uh, yeah, and um, they bring a different um, take on the character. Yeah, here. and um, I think Timothy Chalamet here brings a much more of an innocent, naive approach to the character. Before I don't he... think that's great. I think that's great because it's got a PG rating. But it, it, it's it's a pretty wholesome representation, and I I really I, I liked it because it was like that, and I, I think he's a really good actor. What was the um, gay themed film that um, Call Me by Your Name, which was just fabulous and really thrust him into the public eye? And I, I've got to say, there are certain actors that you look forward to seeing in roles because you know they're going to do a good job. I think he's one of them. I think he's. He's really cemented his place. How old is he? What, late 20s by now or not even that? No, I think he's about 23, 24 or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's a, I mean, he's really charming. He's effusive. He's the, the sort of uh, magic man come chocolatier who arrives in town after... He's 27. He's 27. There you go. Okay. Thank okay. you. Um, well, and when, when was Call Me By Your Name, uh, mate? Just would you mind Googling while we're, we're chatting away here? Uh, so... He he's this magic man, come chocolatier, arrives in town, having spent seven years at sea, 
and and he arrives. He, he decides he wants to open a chocolate shop, and having spent and squandered the twelve sovereigns in his pocket on his walk from ship to shore, he's now skint, and he chooses to think the best of a rogue who ushers him out of the cold. Okay, call me by your name. It's two thousand seventeen. There you go. So all right. So six years ago. Six years ago. So all right. So. You, uh, if he's 27, yeah, 21 year old, thrust into the limelight, he's very, very boyish in terms of his look uh, as well. Anyway, Bleacher is the name of the rogue, played by Tom Davis, looks to take advantage of Wonka's vulnerability, takes him to lodgings at Mrs. Scrubbit's. Mrs. Scrubbit, played by Olivia Coleman, talking about great actors. Anyway, not listening to the sage advice of one of Scrubbit's helping hands, kept in servitude, I might say, this helping hand. Wonka fails to read the fine print because he can't read. And as a result, he signs up for what he's told is a sovereign a night, which he believes he can easily cover, only to be hoodwinked big time. And in a matter of hours, his bill rises to 10,000 sovereigns, and he joins several others trapped in Scrubbit's web. But Wonka's different to the others. Seemingly out of nowhere, he can magically create the world's most delicious chocolates that result in people literally taking flight. Mm. Now, at this point, I'm going to pause and ask, are you a chocoholic, Gregory King? I like, oh, my, cho- I like my chocolate, yes. Yeah, okay. Uh, in terms of your favourite food, does chocolate rate in the top three? I don't know about the top three, but it might be, it will certainly be in the um, top five or six. All right. Peter? True, true, give, 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 give here. Yes, chockies. I do like chocolate, especially dark chocolate, yes. You like dark chocolate, okay. Yes. So, now, in your top three foods, food groups? Uh, um, I don't know, again, like Greg, not necessarily top three, but certainly in the top ten. Okay, I, chocolate is number one for me. It, I absolutely adore chocolate. And chips is number two, so... Does that does that make me very healthy, Peter? Right. <laughs> Have you checked your cholesterol lately? <laughs> but I mean, you can air fry chips these days, so they're healthier, right? And um, and they keep telling us that dark chocolate, the darker the better, is 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 um, actually good for you. I'm not sure I believe that, but there you go. All right. So uh, I, I like the fact, but mind you, I tell you what. Um, Chocolate is one of life's pleasures, no, no question about that. And uh, you know, you, you go to a lot of European countries, and you just you have to go along. And some of the chocolate shops, they, just the smell of a chocolate shop. Mind you, working in chocolate shop, in chocolate shop like Cadbury would be um, would be a bit of a challenge after a while, I reckon. Uh, you know, whether uh, wasn't it? Isn't it Cadbury that allows you to eat as much as you want? Um, I'm not sure whether they then have a um, dietitian into to ensure that that their workers don't drop dead. No, no, I'm not saying that. I, I'm not saying that at all. That just that just snuck out of my lips, and it, uh, I deny it immediately. Anyway, uh, the uh, I, I I love I, I, actually I really like I like Cadbury chocolate. I do. Um, I also like Lint. I think that's a really nice brand of chocolate. Now. What happens in Wonka is that um, people who try his chocolate that sort of he creates magically, as I say, literally take flight. And what happens beyond that is that he forges an instant connection 
with the orphan girl who urged him to read the fine print at the establishment where he's staying. And that girl's name is Noodle, or that's her nickname, played by Carla Lane. And with her help, she breaks his restraints, intent on opening a chocolate shop in a posh part of town named Gallery Gourmet. Right? So her help, she breaks his restraints because he's he's literally um, sort of uh, tied down effectively. And it's something that um, he foresaw years earlier when his beloved mother, played by Sally Hawkins, who's now no longer with us, introduced him to the delights of handmade chocolate. That's how he, he got his love of, uh, of the particular delicacy. Only what he doesn't count on is a conspiracy by a cartel operated by three uppity chocolatiers to keep him out of the market. And those three are Slugworth, played by Patterson Joseph, Prodnose Matt Lucas, and Fickle Gruber, Matthew Bainton. In their pockets are the Chief of Police, not literally, the Chief of Police, played by Keegan-Michael Key, a priest called Father Julian, Rowan Atkinson, and 500 chocoholic monks. Yes, you got it. You can be, you know, you can be close to God and, and still like your chockies. But Wonka's nothing if not persistent, and of course he possesses this indomitable spirit. And one can't overlook his encounter with the diminutive orange Oompa Loompa with green hair, played by Hugh Grant, who better to play the Oompa Loompa, and this Oompa Loompa has been stalking him. And the Oompa Loompa maintains that Wonka is beholden to him. And now, okay, so this is Wonka infused with some strong musical numbers which help carry the narrative. And the resetting of the Roald Dahl story is by Simon Farnaby and Paul King. I think it works a treat. It's colourful, it's creative, puts smiles on faces in you. Not surprisingly, it's the larger-than-life characters that make the piece what it is, and many are priceless. And I've already referenced Timothy Chalamet being so endearing. Olivia Coleman revels in her greedy and wicked persona, which Tom Davis feeds. Patterson Joseph, Matt Lucas, Matthew Bainton play up the chocolate baron's arrogance and entitlement. Carla Lane displays resilience's noodle. And the person who's gifted some choice one-liners and doesn't let us down delivers them with aplomb is Hugh Grant. His droll sense of humour suits the role perfectly. Always a crowd favourite. I would have liked to have seen more of Rowan Atkinson as an unlikely man of the cloth. And among the many standouts in the film is the sumptuous costuming and the production design by Lindy Hemming and Nathan Crowley, respectively. Paul King, who established his bona fides as a fine family film director with Paddington and also Paddington 2, I reckon he's crafted another beauty. Uh, it's, it's a delightful blend of fantasy, adventure and humour, and chocolate lovers can rejoice. Don't you think, Greg? Uh, yes, indeed. It's a fun film there. And uh, Paul King, as you said, has established himself. I liked, I really enjoyed Paddington 2 there. And fittingly, Hugh Grant, who's had a great couple of years there with his roles in Paddington and a couple of um, Guy Ritchie films, I thought he was excellent as um, yeah. Lumpa Lumpa there. Um, special effects have reduced him to a minuscule size, but he was having fun there. Timothy Chalamet brings that sense of innocence and naivety to the younger, optimistic Wonka there. But at times the film had a bit of a um, Tim Burton feel for it, I thought, there, especially the scenes set in the underground laundry there and Olivia Coleman's um, role there remind me of a couple of Tim Burton films, particularly the um, Sweeney Todd there. I sort of captured that vibe for me. But it's very colourful. Um, a lot of song and dance numbers there. I thought a couple of the songs were a little bit blander, actually, Alex. Did you? Oh, yeah. 
I like the songs, okay? I like because they were really poppy type tunes, and I'm I'm into top forty type stuff. I'm afraid, so this suited me, okay? So, but but I mean, um, the performances. I, I did. Did you also really like me? I, I really enjoyed the um the role that um Mrs. Scrubbit's role. I thought yeah, that, Olivia Coleman. I thought he was really great as a villain there. Um, I, I enjoyed a little bit that Rowan Atkinson did there. Yeah, we needed more of him, didn't we? Yeah. We needed more of him. Yeah. yeah. Because he didn't really have, have a check. He, he, he was gazumped by Hugh Grant because Hugh Grant was gifted all these great lines. So, mm. But it's a, it's a fun film and it's PG-rated, so a lot of people are going to enjoy it. But I think adults as well as, you know, youngsters can have fun with this, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Curmudgeon. Oh, sorry. Peter? <laughs> Thank step you up, very much. Step up uh, to the plate. Come on. Please tell me you enjoyed Wonka. I actually did enjoy Wonka. I thought a, a, a really nice British film, which had a, a sort of Dickensian quality to it. And uh, yes, Paul King, who uh, directed Paddington 1 and 2, uh, really knows how to uh, get the humour going. Uh, and he also directs the uh, song and dance numbers very well. I was surprised uh, how good Chalamet was um, with the, the singing and dancing and so on. The special effects are also quite noteworthy. Um, and uh, really well produced, uh, and yes, a great cast. It was nice to see John Carter, who was in uh, The Crown and and uh, other uh, sort of British uh, films. Also. Is, that, is, is that Magna's brother? <laughs> Thank you. King John will be proud. Yes. Uh, All right. Another gag joke there, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. Greg, <laughs> you, you, you're, you're slipping, my friend. You haven't slipped too many in, so, you know, I just thought... Uh, I'd lift the tone. There you go. Keep going, Peter. Well, lower the yes. tone. Lower the tone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Keep going, Peter. Yes, thank you. Okay. I, I actually like the, the new musical numbers as well as the rendition near the end of Pure Imagination, which uh, has featured in the the, uh, the first uh, Willy Wonka film. So, look, there are some really nice elements to the film. There are some potential darker moments, which are the film, of course, defeats and... Uh, goes very strongly positive um, and I can see a possible sequel uh, in the wind to to look at uh, um, Wonka's journey from uh, es establishing himself to going to the next stage uh, and what happens when he became what, what would you call, you call the sequel uh, no, no, uh, it will be very a hard one I'll call it wonky 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 wonky, wonky. 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 So, because uh, I, I, I'm afraid that Paddington Two didn't show a lot of imagination, uh, imagination for me, and Wonka Two doesn't really show a lot of imagination. Hence the reason I asked. But um, no, uh, I just wanted to add that uh, the Royal Dahl Estate uh, was part of the production of this film, so it looks like they're going to be making more films that are um, accessible through Royal Dahl's uh, sort of works. Well, I like the fact that this is a film. Oh, by the way. I've got to compliment Universal because they put on a terrific spread at, um, at one of my favourite theatre, probably my favourite cinema, uh, apart from IMAX, which is my favourite place to see a movie. But um, the Rivoli is just a wonderful, wonderful Art Deco cinema. And since they've basically Im improved it, tarted it up, uh, bad bad use of a word, but uh, a few years ago, I love going there. And uh, they put on... I don't know. Have you have you tried it? They they put on chocolate toothpaste. Have you yet tried that, Peter? 
No, I'm too afraid to walk around with brown teeth. Well, okay, I'm going to tell you guys a story. Settle back, right? Settle back and enjoy the story. Oh, and thank number... you, Dad. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a little fellow, me, uh, you know, barely able to sort of reach above the kitchen table, and uh, he trotted himself off to India. And there were lots of people in India, and he went to a very, very nice hotel, and you get shampoo and you get all sorts of other goodies that you, you know, take away at the end of your stay. Not the kitchen sink, but, you know, the, the, the slippers and the, the comb and stuff like that. And the most delirious experience he had, apart from staying in the hotel, which was delightful, was the fact that he was given chocolate shampoo. Seriously. I absolutely... Now, this shows how much of a chocoholic I am. Can you imagine sort of putting, you know, rubbing it through your, your, your hair and the aroma is just intoxicating? It is it, like it fills the room. It's fantastic. And I was so disappointed when I ran out of it when I got back, got back to Australia. I, I actually, after seeing Wonka, a true story, I Googled chocolate shampoo and I'm going to buy some more. So there you go. It, it's it really satisfied my taste buds as well. Uh, have you ever heard of chocolate shampoo prior to this conversation, Greg? No, I haven't. And um, thank you for awakening me to that, Alex. There. <laughs> Why not? And Peter, with all being hair suit, you know, chocolate <laughs> shampoo may do it for you, right? You know, I could just it's imagine like... t- 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 top deck hair. Top deck hair, exactly. So there you go. It's not cheap, I might say. I don't know why, but uh, I could do vanilla. I like van- Do you like the smell of vanilla, Peter? My goodness, what are you putting through your hair? This is getting out of hand. <laughs> this is a hair-raising exploration, Yes. Hey, listen, I, excuse me. I Because I'm, I'm I'm getting my skull cap off top, uh, what do you mean getting, I've got, um, I, I asked my darling wife, I said, look, can I just go, you know, can I go the full full bottle and, and just sort of uh, shine the dome? And she said, absolutely no way. If you dare do that, uh, the marriage is over. Huh? Well, I, I reckon some people do bald well and I haven't tried it. I mean, as a youngster, I had I had a massive afro. It was like, imagine putting your finger into a, a socket, right? It was like that. I had a massive socket uh, of hair. But... Um, uh, as the years have passed, it's. I thought it was time to try something different, but she doesn't want me to. Nothing wrong with bald men, is there? Hey, okay. I, I'm speechless. Yeah, <laughs> I know. This 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 has really gone off the rails. It's lovely, you know. A little bit of distraction here and there. All right. So let us let us now get back to rating for Wonka. PG rated, and it runs for all of 116 minutes. Score out of 10, Gregory King. Oh, look, I'll give it 7 out of 10. Okay. And Mr. Curmudgeon? <laughs> I give it the same mark as Greg, 7 out of 10. Well, that's that's sort of better than average, but I reckon it's worth more. I reckon you guys are being, you're giving it a hard time. 8 out of 10 for mine for Wonka. Yes, why not? Go along and see it. I think you're going to have a lot, a lot of fun. Now, we didn't speak about Master Gardener, which opened the previous week. And I, I have caught up with it, and I'm really pleased that I did. I enjoyed this movie. I really did. Now, well, okay. enjoy is not really the word for this one, Alan. It's just a bit dark and bleak at times. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I appreciated it. You're quite right. 
thank you for the correction. And um, I, 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 I get the whack. Look, it's M-rated. It's 111 minutes. The I've never heard the the name of the Joel Edgerton character. Have you ever heard that before, Greg? Narvel. N-A-R-V-E-L. Where does that come from? I've no idea. No. Probably a bit of Narvel gazing went into this one. Uh, oh, thank that's you. That's Marvel. That's, yes. Um, all right. So Narvel Roth is is the character that he plays. He's, he's a remarkably gifted and meticulous gardener who leaves nothing, nothing to chance. Everything he does is planned and documented. Nevertheless, his nights are plagued by flashbacks to a different time in his life. And he leads a team of gardeners tending the grounds of Norma Haverhill's beautiful and historic private estate called Gracewood Gardens. And Norma Haverhill is a role filled by Sigourney Weaver. He is preparing for the annual spring charity auction when Ms. Haverhill, who is a no-nonsense employer, calls him in for a chat. She asks him to engage her troubled grandniece, Maya Kaur, played by Quintessa Swindell, whom she hasn't seen since the latter was a little girl, wants, her, wants him to employ her as his apprentice. Pardon me. I'm going to now take a drink because I'm going horse. Mm. Gurgle, gurgle, gurgle. So Miss Haverhill makes it clear she has no respect for Maya Kaur's mother, who is her niece and who was a drug addict. And it's soon, it's soon established that 20-something Maya is quick on the uptake and seemingly settles well into her gardening duties. That is until she has a couple of unsettling run-ins with the hard-nosed Miss Haverhill. Things really begin to unravel after Maya arrives at work having been beaten up by the drug peddler that also dealt with her mother. And at the same time, a jealous Miss Haverhill accuses Narvel of having sexual relationship with Maya. Truth be told, age is no barrier for Miss Haverhill to have a special relationship with the conciliatory Narvel. Now, there's much on the line here as Narvel's intent on breaking Maya's drug cycle while his nefarious past threatens to prevent that from happening. The novel of today is a vastly different man from the one he was more than a decade earlier, and yet he may have to use the wiles of bygone days to deal with the present. It's been written and directed by Paul Schrader, who was responsible for the card counter. It's a measured, dramatic thriller. It's got a mysterious and ugly underbelly, and it's a question of pulling back the layers, which only happens gradually. Because we're, we, the audience, we're left to piece together the full backstory, which is not revealed. That's a deliberate drip-feed ploy by Schrader. Works well, as the cues are strong enough to do that. In other words, Schrader lets our respective and collective imaginations run freely. Although not initially envisaged as a trilogy, Master Gardener does mark the end of three what I'll call lonely figure films. They're, they're movies concerning characters wrestling with the past and hiding behind day jobs, waiting for something to change. First was First Reform, that was 2017, the card counter I mentioned in 2021, and now Master Gardener. Mind you, that kind of character first emerged in Taxi Driver. That that was um, a film that Schrader wrote back in 1976 as an outgrowth of the existential hero that you, you often got in European fiction. Narvel, like so many Schrader leading men, is a loner, and he, he sports a largely poker face uh, as... That Edgerton is, is, is sort of sporting this largely poker face. 
still manages to channel a range of traits for Narvel, including restraint, determination, and menace, you know, as this this uh, master gardener. And there's an orderliness and respect about his fellow green thumbs as they're uh, cast in this movie. As Ms. Haverhill, Sigourney Weaver is a controlling figure, very used to getting her way. And with her life at the crossroads, Quintessa Swindell has a magnetism, I thought, about her as Maya. Quite, quite an endearing character, even though she's certainly got a dark side. I, I really appreciated the plot twists, the gritty feel of the movie, which balances order with chaos. Did you appreciate it as well, Peter, or not? I did. I really like Paul Schrader's work and uh, mm. the way he deals in with his, the writing that he does and also with his direction. First Reform, you mentioned, and uh, Taxi Driver and uh, Raging Bull, etc. Uh, he deals with damaged people or people who need redemption of some sort uh, as well. And and I found uh, Master Gardner so interesting because of the neo-Nazi aspect uh, that's uh, mm. developed in the storyline, as well as the racial issues that uh, that come up: white supremacy, white superiority, um, uh, wealth uh, versus uh, poverty, etc. There are so many aspects to the film, without going into too much detail in the in the narrative um, structure of the plot, that I think it makes the film very impressive. And uh, it is extremely well acted by uh, Edgerton and by Sigourney Weaver, especially, um, who uh, plays this rather uh, difficult, uh, privileged white role extremely well. Um, what about Quintessa Swindell? I thought she she impre- she certainly impressed me. She's good. She's good. She needs to develop more in terms of others, uh, other films, etc. And she's used more as. Uh, uh, as a device, if you like, in the story to p- uh, pivot between um, Edgerton and uh, Weaver's characters. Nevertheless, this is a very strong film. Uh, Paul Schrader is such an important filmmaker, and uh, I, I, I thoroughly endorse this film that people go and see it. It's excellent. Mm. And Greg, did you enjoy it too? Well, as I said before, Alice, it's not a film Sorry, that I actually like enjoy. Um, because it's a fairly nihilistic film towards the end there. And as you and Peter were pointing out, it, it follows the trajectory of a lot of Schrader's films and um, a sort of loner character um, trying to atone for his dark past there. Um, this build-up is slow and measured and then it ventures into more familiar territory before it erupts into controlled violence at the end. It follows the template of films like Taxi Driver, um, The Card Counter, First Reform and all those. Um, but I thought the performances were quite good here. Um, Edison has a button-up quality here to his performance. It's nicely understated. Um, and he brings a sort of dour quality to his novel there. Um, and his growing sense of unease is palpable there. And I thought Weaver was suitably haughty and imperious and cold uh, and slightly unhappy there. I didn't think there was a real spark of chemistry, though, between Edison and Swindle. Not man, it's a little bit unlikely. That's right. interesting. I, I did. I thought again. I, I think I, I must have thought much more of Quintessa Swindell than both of you. That that's. Yeah. that's what I, like um, to say. I thought it was nicely shot by regular cinematographer Alexander Dynan. A little bit dark and bleak at times there, and I thought the production design was actually quite good there, bringing a sense of rotting grandeur to those gardens and the Haverhill Estate there. And I thought the garden itself became a potent, if somewhat heavy-handed, metaphor. But the themes of regeneration, growth, and change that 
Australians exploring here. I agree. Agreed. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. Overall, then, Greg, what would you give it out of ten? It's um, it's Master Gardener, hundred and eleven minutes, M rated. Six and a half to seven. Okay, Peter, you'll go higher than that, won't you? Absolutely. I give it eight out of ten. And I give it seven and a half. So, okay, we're, we're it's a film that we would certainly recommend. Now, a, a movie. I, this was an interesting experience. I went to where did I go to? Uh, the Dendi to to see this one. I'd I'd missed it when it. Uh, I, th I think there was a screener that we were given, and I, I didn't see it. One True Loves. Were we given a screener, boys, or I, I, where did you see it, Peter? Yeah, I think I did have a screener for that. Yeah, okay. So PG rated 100 minutes. So this was the experience. So I get into the cinema. It's a very narrow cinema, the the one that I, I think was number five. And um, there was a, a gentleman there, and I was the only other patron the night that I saw it. And halfway through, the gentleman walks out and doesn't come back. So, mm, interesting. Anyway, PG rated 100 minutes, one true loves. Think old-fashioned, free-to-air midday movie, right? Or a Mills and Boone romance novel. And your head's in the right space to contemplate one true loves. Since school days, Sam has been into Emma. But Emma always had the hots for the school swimming champion, Jesse. And as it turned out, Jesse swept Emma off her feet. They fell deeply in love. They travelled the world together, they got married. She, in fact, as a travel writer. And there's your happily ever after. Well, not quite. Work sees Jesse, played by Luke Bracey, head off to Alaska on his own, promising to celebrate their wedding anniversary when he returns home. I think it was the first wedding anniversary, wasn't it, Peter? From recollection? But anyway, wedding anniversary. Instead, yeah. Emma, played by Philippa Sue, gets a dreadful phone call to say that Jesse's missing, presumed dead, after a helicopter crash in the Pacific Ocean. And Emma's totally lost, bereft of what to do next. So it is that her older sister Marie, or Mari, played by Michaela Conlon, sweeps her up, brings her back to their picturesque small hometown in Massachusetts. And it's there that Mari and their parents operate a bookstore, something Emma never wanted to be a part of. But now things are different. The combination of the local environment, the familiarity of the bookshop brings Emma a sense of solace. And then unexpectedly, Emma bumps into Sam. This is the guy who had the hots for her all those years ago, played by Simu Lu once more. And he's now the high school music teacher. A spark ignites and in time the pair's engaged to be married. Thereafter, Emma receives a call that rocks everyone's socks. Four years after he disappeared, Jesse has been found on a deserted island. Suddenly, Emma has to try to na navigate what the future looks like loving two men, with those feelings reciprocated by each of them. Awkward. It's been written by Taylor Jenkins Reid and Alex Jenkins Reid, based on the former's book of the same name. Both writers have television backgrounds and it shows. In fact, the movie looks like it has been written for television. It's schmaltzy, features a bunch of good-looking, nice people, feels heavily manufactured or put on to solicit audience sympathy. And given those restraints, obtaining performances that had a ring of truth about them was always going to be a challenge. Mind you, I did like the moral quandary that was established and opened itself up to being explored further. So too the setting. The scenery is beautiful, which the cinematographer Greg Gardner has captured well. It's directed by Andy Fickman. It plays it safe and by the book, does it not? Peter. 
Ah, yes, uh, One True Loves. Uh, this film has gone straight onto my list of one of the worst films of the year. <laughs> I, I I was cringing through it as I was watching it. And uh, I must say, if, there's everything wrong about this film, I have to say. One is the title, which is grammatically idiotic. Um, secondly... That's the whole idea. Hang on, hang on. They, they've done that deliberately to get people like you, get, get up your goat. And they, they've succeeded. Congratulations. I don't remember the goat in the film, but I must watch out for it again. Um, uh, secondly, uh, Luke Bracey, who's an Australian actor, uh, is given a, a role that is just makes no sense whatsoever. Four years on a deserted island. How could he have possibly survived? This is just ludicrous crying. Wait a second. Okay. Hang on. I'm sure that we had a, a volleyball and there was survival uh, of, of a, in a very fine movie not so many years ago. Hey, thank you. Can I keep going? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, hang on. You, you said you don't know how he could survive. Um, he's very industrious. He swims very well, and he's obviously captured uh, fish. And and maybe there's coconuts on island. <laughs> and maybe Santa is um, uh, exactly sliding down the pole. But yes. What's wrong with Santa and the Easter Bunny? Right. <laughs> right. You're you're very very harsh, Peter. Yes. Keep going. Thank you. I like my curmudgeon role. Yes. I, 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 also, the, the whole plot premise is makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, you have this music teacher who spends his time talking to his class about his relationship situation. Again, makes no sense. Well, wait a second. You got to idiotic. No, you got to put context around that. Uh, he he is about to get married to the the love of his life who he's loved since she, he was at high school and she was at high school, the the husband's come back and now she he doesn't know whether the husband has got prior rights and therefore he's going to miss out. And so he, he lets he spills his guts out to his students and to the fellow teachers. What's so difficult to... You're, you're being... Oh, my golly. What? Very, very stupid, I have to say. And, and it may be the stupid. whole plotting is stupid. Yeah, you can um, imagine that happening, couldn't you? Good. Yeah, of course. Hey, um, you, you and Greg are both in a in a in a teaching environment. Could that ever happen in a school? No. You would not share that sort of. No, you, you normally uh, information. would. Uh, I would. I would agree that it's not. Of course not. Yeah. And, and and such good actors as Michael O'Keefe, who I remember back from films uh, dating back a number of years, and Tom Everett Scott, are totally wasted in this film. Yeah, I was, I was surprised to see Tom Everett Scott. I've got to say, in, in a in a thankless role. Mm. This is one of those awful hallmark style films, which obviously leads to a happy ending. Obviously, all of them have to be satisfactorily resolved. Uh, one true loves. I would give that a huge miss. It is just awful. Well, look, I, I, it's been a long time since I, Greg, do you remember, uh, even on your program, we, I often talked about sort of midday movie and, and, you know, we, this was for years I did this. I haven't been doing it recently because there haven't been many that have come out that I, I felt that was in that sort of space. This one definitely is. I still, look, I thought it was okay. I, I thought it. I knew exactly what was happening. I knew exactly what was going to happen once it was established that he'd been lost and found. Notwithstanding that, I I, I suppose I adopted, oh, well, it's a midday movie type film um, and, and it snuck through into the cinemas. I'm giving it a five and a half out of ten. So a bare pass, PG, 100 minutes. You're going to fail it. I know that. What, what's, your, what's your score? Is it one or is it two, Peter? 
Ah, you are so uh, so right. I can barely give it two out of ten. There you go. Wow. So uh, th- this makes the list. Eh? Uh, have you seen a worse film, Peter, this year? Oh, yes. Uh, Blue Beetle is one that comes to mind. Uh, the Fast X uh, was just awful. Um, Shazam. Uh, oh, look, there are some really shockers this year. Okay. Cool. It's, it's nice to know that, you know, you're keeping count. I'm delighted to hear it. So, all right. I, I, I wanna... do have good films too, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to hear it. And we're, by the way, I think we'll, I think we'll do that next week, uh, guys. If that, in terms of the the film, do we do Christmas films or do we do films of the year next week? What do you think? Maybe we do Christmas films and then we do films of the year the following week. We'll talk about it after. We're, your people will talk to my people outside the confines <laughs> of this program, and we'll work we'll, we'll work that through. Let's um let's have a look at a movie which we talked about. A few weeks ago, Greg, didn't we, when we were talking about the um, British Film Festival, but it's now going to come out on Boxing Day, and that's One Life, correct? We did we did talk about it uh, a few weeks ago from recollection. And um, it's a movie that I really want people to see. I think it's a it's a very good film. Uh, it um, I think we saw it probably back in, what, October, November, something like that? That's my recollection in terms of... Yes, it was the the media launch for the British Film Festival. Okay, good. Well, December 1938, Nicholas Nicky Winton, mild-mannered British stockbroker, headed for a week in Prague. And increasingly, refugees have fled there to try to outrun the growing Nazi presence in Europe. And Winton wants to help in any way he can, but the situation he finds when he gets there really disturbs him. Children, many of them Jewish, are facing desperately poor conditions. They've got little or no shelter, they're malnourished, they're sick and they are dying as the tide of anti-Semitism rises. Where others work within the system, Winton subverts it. He's intent on transporting as many children as he can via train to temporary homes in England before the borders are closed. But first he needs the legal authority to do that, as well as the financing, as well as the foster parents. Decades later, as I say, started December 1938, now 1987, living in Maidenhead, England, Winton's wartime experiences come flooding back. The prompt is opening a thick scrapbook which charts his exploits. And in turn, that triggers a series of life-affirming events. Quite a remarkable story of persistence and humility. Winton's presented as a humanitarian intent on doing the right thing. And as a younger man, he's the driving force behind a quite remarkable rescue effort. In old age, he finally gets the recognition he so richly deserved. Based on the book, If It's Not Possible, by Nicholas Winton's daughter, Barbara, who unfortunately passed away midway through principal photography on this movie. And the screenplay by Lucinda Coxon and Nick Drake is very well developed, many surprises coming near the end of the film. Presented as an emotional, heartfelt journey, jumping between the onset of war and the late 1980s. Score by Volker Bertelman really resonates. Direction from James Hawes, who cut his teeth helming TV series. He, his transition to the big screen seems to be seamless as far as I'm concerned. Thought Anthony Hopkins was compelling, measured, humble as a man initially told to clean up his clutter. Johnny Flynn plays Winton's younger self as respectful but shocked into taking action when others see the barriers as being too severe. Helena Bonham Carter, memorable as Winton's assertive mother, Babette, who brought up a son with a strong streak of conscience. Lena Olin fills the role of Winton's loving Danish-born wife, Gret, with warmth and alacrity. And Romola Garay paints Doreen Warren at the head of the 
British Committee for Refugees in Czechoslovakia as an energetic and spirited leader. And Alex Sharp, good sort as Trevor Chadwick, boots on the ground, fellow Brit in Prague, never afraid of mucking in. Look, this film, One Life, gives voice to the truism, one man can make a difference, and it reminded me of the excellent film Schindler's List. I also couldn't but help think about just how much this movie resonates in the fractured world in which we live today. It's a pivotal picture, and um, it's on general release on Boxing Day. What did you think of it, Peter? Oh, I really liked it. And by the way, it corrects that it was the opening night film with the British, not the oh. media launch film. Uh, excellent performance by Anthony Hopkins. There have been a few documentaries about Winton, um, but uh, this film about the early days of the kinder transport uh, is really well developed and moving. Um, and it was nice to see the uh, television show that uh, where all of this was revealed uh, that was hosted by Esther Ranson at the time and uh, actress who plays her does it very well. No, I really liked uh, uh, One Life very much. Worthwhile, yeah, worthwhile. What, what do you think, Greg? Yeah, it's a great little film. It's something you call this film Winton's List, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is that. Um, yeah, a great, a great story there. And it opens is one of those actors who seems to get better with age, isn't he? Amazing, absolutely amazing. And you long to see him on the screen, Greg. I agree with you. Good, good assessment. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I I enjoyed it. It's a great story, as you said there. And I thought the production details and the um, period detail was also very well done. And the juxtaposition between time frames actually works very well. Even though we've sort of praised um, Anthony Hopkins, Johnny Flynn's got a substantial role in this, Greg, doesn't he? I mean, he does a good job. He does a good. But there are times when he captures some of um, Anthony Hopkins' mannerisms, or was it the other way around? Yeah, yeah. yeah. His mannerisms. And I, I, I will also love seeing Helena Bonham Carter. We don't see a lot of her, but you know, she's a very stoic actor and uh, so, somebody who uh, you, you always recognise when she appears on screen. So, score out of 10, Greg? I'll give it seven, seven and a half. And Peter? I really liked it, 8 out of 10. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Peter. I gave it an 8 out of 10. PG rated 109 minutes. Boys, thank you very much for your contribution to First on Film and Entertainment today. We will do it all again next week and uh, be kind to one another as we get closer to the festive season. Uh, don't don't toot your horn too badly in traffic and, uh, and be nice to the uh, shopkeepers that are trying to look after us. Catch you then. See you later on First on Film and Entertainment.